I'm so stressed. So stressed. You're always stressed. Yes, but this case is making my normal stress level go even higher. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar Slater episode. I have been so stressed wondering what's going to happen next. <laughs> so, I guess, do you want to, like, just jump right into it? Or do you have anything, like, updates you want to say? Um, no, but in the last episode, we completely and totally forgot. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the little notification bell. Wow, you're good. <laughs> Thank you. All, all that's under Curious Tales. Yeah, all or Curious, Curious Tales. Tales podcasts. Yeah. Okay, so we left off kind of at like a pivotal point in the last episode, but I think I'm going to give everybody a recap in case they didn't like see the episode or they've forgotten some of the details. Old lady had a very like protected home, was murdered in a 10-minute period, and only brooch was stolen. Yep. And the guy they thought did it was fleeing to America. So the last episode, we learned that an 83-year-old spinster named Marion Gilchrist was murdered in her home. There were very few clues as to the motive of her death, though a small diamond-encrusted crescent brooch had been reported stolen. You made those two points. The police put out a vague description of a mysterious man fleeing the apartment as well as the description of the missing brooch asking pawn shops to be on the lookout for anyone trying to sell the item. They received a very convincing lead when a bicycle dealer reported seeing a man named Oscar Slater in a gambling club desperately trying to sell a pawn ticket for a crescent brooch matching the description of Marion's. But when they arrived at Oscar's home, they discovered that the man had fled only hours earlier with his lover. He was definitely looking a bit suspicious, and the police believed that they had their man. Who was Oscar Slater? I don't know, you're about to tell me. Oscar Slater was actually born Oscar Joseph Lesinger. Lesinger? Lesinger. Lesinger, that's a name. On January 8th, 1872, in Oakland, East Germany, to a Jewish family. His parents, Adolf and Paulina Lesinger, made their living as bakers, but Oscar showed very little interest in the family business. I couldn't find too much of his early years other than he played hooky from school and as one does <laughs> and was thought to be a bit of a handful. He as one does. <laughs> he did <laughs> He 
did pretty good with numbers and actually moved to Hamburg to work as a bank clerk when he got older. In 1893, he fled Germany to evade military service and spent time in Europe and the U.S. Being on the run isn't exactly cheap, so he made a living through illegal gambling and selling secondhand jewelry. Eventually, he found his way to London, where he worked as a bookmaker under various aliases, including Anderson, which was oh, the name he was using. Okay. But later settled on the name Slater. He must have liked London because he stayed there for a few years. He periodically sent money home to his elderly parents. His father suffered a spinal injury Ooh. and found it difficult to work, and his mother had become partially blind at her old age and needed Cataract so he was surgery. A good son. Yes. He, so him and his victim have that in common. They took care of their parents. They took care of their parents. It's very important to take care of your parents. Exactly. Oscar paid for her cataract surgery. Wait, they had cataract removal back then? Wow. Apparently. I don't know what it was or what it was like. I did not do the research on that. I mean, I knew they had cataract surgery like back in the eighties, but I didn't know they had it like back in like the early 1900s, late 1800s. That is fascinating. That's just what I found. And that he sent money back home regularly for his parents' living expenses. His living is expensive, mm -hmm. even in the 1900s. Yep. He did run into a bit of trouble in London, though. He was prosecuted for alleged malicious Wounding in 1896 and assault in 1897. What is malicious wounding? I don't know the difference between malicious wounding and assault, but... Well, I guess assault is going to be a lot more violent than a malicious wounding. Maybe malicious wounding is, wounding is just like, ha, I cut you. But, like, assault is like, ha, I stab you. Basically, <laughs> that happened in 1896 and again in 1897. But he was acquitted on both cases. Okay. So he has maybe, he was acquitted, but maybe he has a little bit of violence in his past? Yes. That's important for later, I'm sure. In 1901, he moved to Glasgow. Okay. Oscar officially changed his name to Slater and looked to settle down. But he quickly fell into old habits and found himself at the gambling clubs, associating with thieves, prostitutes, and selling jewelry. Okay. Sometimes stolen jewelry for a profit. He claimed to be a dentist and a dealer of diamonds and precious stones. Shortly after his move to Glasgow, he met and fell for a woman named Mary Curtis, and they married. Okay, so he's married. Unfortunately, the marriage wasn't exactly a happy one. Okay, so... Mary was prone to heavy drinking, and Oscar separated from her just months after their marriage. Okay, so she was abusive, or at least the drinking... Drinking. Where... I, I don't know, but apparently Mary wasn't too happy about the separation, so much so that Oscar felt it necessary to flee Glasgow altogether, and Mary followed. Wait, when did they get married? I said that they got married. When? Oh, Here. in 1901. 1901. Okay, and then... She's murdered in 1908. Right, so that's seven years later. Yes. Okay, so he was in Glasgow, he fled, and then does he come 
back? Because I mean, if the they do, if they separated shortly after the wedding, that would be like still 1901 or 1902, and you still got like six years to go. He spent time in Paris, New York, and London, each time fleeing any time he thought that Mary might be close on his trail. Oh my God, she's following him around the world. What? He stupidly returned to Glasgow. I I put stupidly down in 1908, where he planned to settle down with his lover he had picked up in London. Oh, no. A French woman by the name of Andre Anton. I'm not French, so Andre Anton is the best I can do. Antoni. Andre Antoni. It's not Antoinette. Okay. <laughs> That's Marie. We'll call her Andre for short. Okay. The pair rented a flat at 49th Street. I'm not French either, so. <laughs> the pair rented a flat at 49th Street, George Road. Just 400 yards from where a woman is going to be murdered shortly. He, they rented it under the pseudonym of Anderson with their maid, Julian Schmaltz. Not, it's not Julian. Catherine Schmaltz. Sorry. Where did Julian come from? I don't know. The loft was only 400 yards from Marion Gilchrist's home. Oscar Slater would spend his next days at the gambling clubs, turning in profit, where Andre spent her days welcoming male suitors into their home. She's a prostitute? Yes, she's a prostitute. Hey, you know what? If he's secure in his relationship, you know, she's got to make money. Unfortunately, on December 21st, the same day that Marion is murdered, Oscar Slater was dealing with a different kind of trauma. He received a startling letter from a friend in London that his estranged wife was asking questions and that someone may have let it slip as to his current location. Oh, and no. Wait. <laughs> He's running from his wife, not the police? Basically, Oscar needed to get out of Dodge and fast. <laughs> oh, that is just super bad timing. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, unless he was fleeing the police because he murdered this woman, but I don't know. Conveniently, he also received a letter months prior, several months prior, from a friend named Mr. DeVoto living in San Francisco, asking him to come to America and partner in a business venture. Okay, so he's like, I've got this opportunity to do this business venture, and I gotta get out of here, because the crazy wife has found me again. Yeah. Oh, no. And Oscar, he wasn't sure he'd still been considering the offer, because they were doing pretty good in Glasgow, had only recently moved there, like, that year or whatever. Andre must be really good. And, and, and the jewelry yeah, selling. Yeah, he, he did pretty gambling. good selling jewelry. He, you know, whatever. He was considering it, so he had bought a ticket to America, but he still had doubts until this letter of his wife showed up. And, and then so he's like, now he's like, I'm taking the job. Like, you know what? I, it, well, it's a smart move because he has this opportunity. It's not like he's just running. 
he actually has a business venture and a potential profit. So you never move without making some kind of a plan. Exactly. I mean, you can, but it's better to have at least some idea this of This man is just do. like the least lucky person I can think of. Because to prepare for the journey Oscar had to pawn an old brooch he owned for money. Oh no. And it just happens to be diamond encrusted with a crescent shape. And then he turned around and tried to sell the pawn ticket for extra cash. Something he'd done before, basically. Um, oh no. So, but first, and, well, unless, are you sure it was his or did he acquire it somehow? From what I've read, it was actually Anton's brooch, but he had pawned it several times for money and then bought it back for her. Okay, and so this time he pawned it and then tried to pawn the ticket because they just needed the extra money to get to New York. Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, there's there were plenty of times in my childhood where uh, my mother's jewelry would be pawned. My father pawned his saxophone and other musical instruments a number of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, we always, most of the time, got things back. That was just, you know, you got to pay rent. You got to flee to America from the crazy wife. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess they were in that relationship where they couldn't get married, but they trusted or loved each other enough to, like, let him him pawn her stuff right you know? right right well hey you know what they're living in the same house they all gotta eat basically nobody for some unknown reason wanted to buy a pawn ticket for a crescent brooch and oscar is too busy worrying about the ex-wife or the wife i think he's still married to her he just kind of fled to really realize that there was a murder oh no so, so he's not even aware of it. So he didn't do it? That's his story, anyway. That's his story. Okay. The police had already known of Oscar Slater and his reputation. They knew he was a known arts dealer or jewelry dealer who often sold stolen jewelry and that he'd been in trouble for assault in the past. So when a bicycle dealer came back with the story of Oscar selling a pawn ticket, they weren't really surprised. On the 25th of December, Oscar left his flat with Andre to catch the train to Liverpool, where they had two second-class tickets to board the Lusitania to New York. That, that. The sister ship to the Titanic. It has its own history, and it it, it sinks in World War One. Okay, so like so, for a podcast yeah, later. Oh, on. yeah. Um, Sorry. You no, got me all fine. excited there. On the 25th of December, Oscar left his flat with Andre to catch the train to Liverpool, where they had two second class tickets to board the Lusitania to New York. In order to throw off his wife, Catherine Schmaltz, the maid, was given a week's notice and told that if anyone were to come looking for anyone named Oscar Slater, they don't live here. Oh, that's just bad. She was to basically oh. deny it. And I mean, how's she supposed to know that he's a suspect in a murder? And basically oh. tell anybody that her employer's name was Mr. Anderson and that they were away on holiday. Oh, no. That is just... <laughs> but of course, we know once pressured by the police, Catherine... Well, how could 
would she not? They're the police. You have to tell the truth. Exactly. But she did try and prove Oscar's innocence. She's like stating that he had been having dinner with her and his girlfriend at 7 o'clock on the 21st of December and afterwards went down to the gambling clubs. Okay. Uh, but the police thought it was a flimsy alibi at best. Well, yes. She was in his employ. Mm-hmm. And of course, the girlfriend is going to say he was here all night. If the girlfriend was there and not on the Lusitania. And of course, from the police's like view, them suddenly fleeing, fleeing is like is an admission of guilt. Exactly. It's like, you're right. This guy just has the worst luck. I mean, like, why else would you flee so quickly? Why was he so desperate to pawn a brooch? It just is. What did he have to hide? The truth is he had to hide a crazy wife. <laughs> he had to hide from a crazy wife. Oh my god. Oh my god. Just keep going. The this hunt is great. for Oscar Slater was on. Oh no. The police were able to follow his trail to Liverpool where Oscar had signed into Liverpool Northwestern Hotel under the name of Oscar Slater. So like he kind of let his guard down instead of using like a pseudonym or a alias or an alias. He, he just said Oscar Slater. While there, he told the maid the name of the ship that they were sailing on. Oh, no. And they discovered that Oscar and Andre had boarded the ship under the name Mr. and Mrs. Otto Sandoz. Police were able to contact New York, and Oscar was arrested the moment the Lusitania docked in New York. Oh, on a steamship. I mean, these police are really trying so they, to get they them. probably did, like, a telegram. Mm-hmm. At this point in history, you can send telegrams across the ocean. I don't know how they did it. They laid wire across the freaking ocean. Well, that's impressive. I booked it up because I was, like, curious about it one day. They were able to mm-hmm. send messages, so they probably sent a telegram across the ocean to New York. They also can send telegrams and ships will deliver them as well. It would have taken in like maybe a week or so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know that it's like... Tanya to get there. Well, I know that it's like a 13 day ship ride or something like that according to my research. 12 day voyage. Sorry. 12 day voyage. Okay. Yeah. Well, the Lusitania was not as like fast as the Titanic. No, because that was the Titanic and it sank. Yes. The Titanic would have made it there faster than what they were. So that's yeah. another episode we're going to do is just the Titanic in of itself. That would be fun. Anyways, on to Oscar Slater. He was arrested the second he made it into New York. A poor guy. He's With like, no idea as to why he's being arrested. <laughs> this is the first time he has heard the name Marion Gilchrist and that he was wanted for murder. That poor man. He just was trying to run away from his crazy wife and he... <laughs> And let's just say the Glasgow police are just obsessed with him. They're feeling the pressure that they literally send two officers to accompany Arthur Adams, Helen Lambie, or Nellie, and Mary Burrowman to New York to identify him. Wait, they send the maid, the downstairs neighbor, and a child to New York to identify him. They couldn't wait until they bring him back? Mm -mm. What? Okay. While on the ship, and this is where it starts to get, like, I'm for the police, but this is where it starts to get 
hokey. Bad policing. That oh no, not bad policing. So many bad policings cause murderers to be not caught or wrong people to be convicted. Exactly. While on the ship, police officers showed both Mary and Nellie a photo of no. Oscar Slater. Asking if they thought that he was the murderer. No. They even placed the two women in the same cabin and told them not to talk about the incident. Oh, that's witness. Oh, no. It's a 12-day voyage, and the only reason these two women know each other is because they are eyewitnesses to the same crime. What are they going to talk about? The weather? Yes, oh, this voyage has been absolutely lovely. Let's not talk about the murder. Oh, but I wish to talk about the murder. Did you see the photo? It might have been him. I still say it was a gray overcoat. I know they're not English. <laughs> they're Scottish, but I don't feel like Scottishing tonight. <laughs> Once in New York, they were led to the police station and asked to wait in the corridor where Oscar was led in handcuffs in front of them. Both Nellie and Mary had agreed that Oscar looked a great deal like the man that they'd seen, but Arthur, who had not been basically scrutinized by the police and, like, controlled by the police and whatnot, said that he really wasn't sure if it was the man. In fact, he even leaned over to the girls and asked, are they sure that they're right. Was he showing a picture? No. Just the girls. Just the girls. Ugh. But remember, Arthur's not a credible witness. He didn't have his glasses on. Exactly. So he didn't see the guy because he didn't have He's credible enough to take him across the ocean. But not credible enough to... Oh, this is not going to end well for Oscar. Oscar's American lawyer had advised him to resist extradition, but Oscar insisted he was innocent. He volunteered to go back to Glasgow to stand trial and prove his innocence. He wasn't being extradited. He volunteered to go. Oh. They hadn't even gotten papers in yet. That's who... Oh, dude. I mean, obviously he... he, As far as he was concerned... It was a mistaken identity. Marion Gilchrist was killed on the 22nd. He even sent a letter to a friend talking about it. He was like, I had an alibi on the 22nd. And that it couldn't have possibly been him. But he doesn't realize it's on the 21st. Exactly. Oh, no, that dude. Because, like, he was in the gamble casino or the gambling club the whole day on the 22nd making money to leave so he has no idea (sighs) meanwhile the police back in glasgow had a problem a very big problem the whole reason they chased this man all the way to america across the pond was for what reason the brooch a crescent-shaped brooch well, they managed to track down the pawn shop that had the brooch. Let me guess it got sold. And they managed to track down the copy of the ticket. And Oscar had pawned his brooch on November 18th, a whole month before Marion was no. A whole month before Marion was murdered. Then why do they put him on trial? And her brooch was stolen. Why do they put her on trial? Because they honestly believe they had the man. But the brooch is 
just a, it was a whole month. They had three witnesses saying that it was him. Two witnesses and a possible witness. Oh my God, I'm so stressed right now. When Slater returned to Glasgow, his name and picture had already been printed in the press as Marion Gilchrist's murderer. Oh no, so they really like had no other choice. So large crowds of people formed outside of the ship, excited to see him exit the ship handcuffed to a police officer. They took pictures of him handcuffed to a police officer. It circulated in the d newspaper the next day. Oscar was a Jewish-German immigrant during a time when Glasgow had very few immigrants. Plus, Germany and Britain were, like, on the verge of a war. Uh, yeah. Just give them six more years. <laughs> so, you know, prejudice is pretty high. Ugh. He looked foreign. He looked different. And we all know from Sabella Needy's case, foreign and different isn't always a good thing, especially when accused of murder. But at least he can speak English. Twelve more people who had seen the newspaper of him being handcuffed and hauled out of the ship also came forward after seeing the picture, saying that they had seen him around West Prince Street the night of the murder. Basically like a hammer to your coffin. But he lives there! They put Oscar in a lineup to be identified by the new witnesses. Just like a big old parade well, of... his picture has been blasted all over everywhere. Of course they're gonna pick him out of a lineup. The this other bad policing is bad policing. <laughs> the other 11 men in the lineup were actually police officers, all of whom were Scottish and bore no resemblance to Oscar. Oh, no. Oh. And did Okay, fair, so I can understand why it might be harder to find somebody who might look like him. But at the same time, it's like... They bore no resemblance to him at all. I mean, they could have at least tried. Or at least dirtied themselves up. You know, he's fresh off of a boat. He doesn't look his best. They took his belongings. They have confiscated his suitcase. So he's got the same clothes. I mean, they, they, the ships have running water. Yeah. Unless, you know, they were in steerage. But they did have, at least the Titanic had showers. So basically... I am so stressed right now. Go on. Later was the obvious odd man out on this. Oh, so basically, they yeah. gotta pin it on somebody. Each one, all 12 witnesses said, yep, that's the guy. <sighs> Because they'd seen him in the pictures. Hey, all the others are Scottish. Yeah. They got to pin this on somebody, and the foreign guy looks pretty good. His trial was set for Monday, May 3rd in Edinburgh. They decided that Edinburgh was more likely to get a conviction. Edinburgh. Oh, Edinburgh. Thank you. In Edinburgh, they decided that Edinburgh was more likely to get a conviction as there was still doubt circulating in Glasgow. During this time, Mary and Nellie had started to change the description of the man that they had seen that night from a clean-shaven man to a man with a mustache because Slater had a mustache. He wasn't even clean-shaven. Oh, no. It would be many what? years later that Mary Burrowman would confess that she was under immense pressure from the police to to change her description. Uh, and, okay, she's 14. 
or 15. She is a child. Mm -hmm. And I imagine they're doing the same thing to Nellie. The police searched Oscar's luggage, which they had had in police custody since they arrested him in New York. Inside the luggage, they found a small wooden axe. And of course, the police went, aha, a murder weapon. He could have that for any reason. It was his luggage. He was leaving. Maybe it was a special hammer that was his father's. I know his father was a baker. But you know what? It's a small wooden hand axe, which really an axe and a chair are two completely different weapons. Because remember, the, chair the original the doctor oh. that came onto the crime scene said that he thought the murder weapon was a chair. Ugh. The reason being, and I didn't write this down, but I should have. The reason being is because when you lift the chair and you whack somebody with it, that you are being shielded by the back of the chair from blood splatters. So the person would have been able to walk out without being covered in blood. Oh, that's smart. Mm -hmm. So the police have changed their thought oh. as to what the murder weapon was from a chair to a hand axe. But the chair had brain matter on it. I know. You're not going to necessarily get the brain matter. I mean, unless it's splatter, but I don't think that that's gonna splatter in that way without like crime scene pictures or whatever I, I mean I'm no expert I just watch a lot of forensics Continue. secondly <laughs> if it was an axe or a hammer Oscar's hand axe was just too small to cause the wounds found on Marion uh, but the police decided to once again overlook it and plus let's face it she was bludgeoned not hacked right you you would be able to tell the difference I would think so. I mean, okay, like an axe and a hammer are going to have two very different types of injury from each other, but a chair is going to have a completely different set of injuries. Plus it had brain matter. Plus it had brain matter. Did they ever find the eye? I'm sorry, I'm kind of fixated <laughs> on that. I don't think, I don't know. They I mean, probably did. It might have just gotten, I don't know, if it, she was just beat so bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, All I know oh. is that her body was identified by Nellie and the niece but I don't actually know what they did with the body. It never actually comes up in court transcripts as to them using the body as like evidence. That does happen. They did that in the um, Lizzie Borden trial. Yeah. They like literally had their skulls. Yeah. But I didn't see them use it in any way. So the trial was set for May 3rd in Edinburgh, like I said before, and the trial was presided over by Lord Charles John Guthrie. No relation to the other Guthrie from the first episode who was Nellie's um, previous employer. Oh, I completely forgot about that previous employer. You know, I actually just read that and went, oh yeah. But when I was writing it, I didn't think of it. Okay. So anyways, it was presided over by Lord Charles John Guthrie, who from the start of the trial made it very clear that he thought Slater was guilty. So we're not even oh, dealing no. with an unbiased judge. So you're dealing with a judge who's already decided you're guilty. Hasn't even heard any of the evidence, has already just decided you're guilty. Of course, he's been reading and the newspapers. The prosecution had to rely solely on witness testimony since they I mean, had... I'm sorry, witness testimony is... 
the human brain they have at least 15 witness testimonies saying that it's him but it's so unreliable the prosecution had not a shred of physical evidence you gotta have the physical they didn't even have the chair i i mean i mean they could have tested for fingerprints decided that the chair is not the murder weapon. Oh, I'm so... Did they at least test for fingerprints? Because that was a thing that they did. They didn't have any fingerprints. No, I mean, they could have just... No, I know. Around. They didn't test for fingerprints or they never found any fingerprints. Ugh. Oh, come on. You gotta at least have some physical... The this only... is a purely circumstantial evidence case with witnesses that are probably... Okay, so at least... Twelve of them are just seeking attention. Mm -hmm. The only <sighs> smoking gun that the prosecution had had was the brooch, which turned out not to be Marion's, which meant it couldn't be used to convict him, although they tried. There was no Seriously? evidence. Yeah, there was no evidence that Oscar Slater and Marion Gilchrist had ever met. They didn't even run in the same social circles. So the prosecution had a hard time explaining why a German immigrant would break into a home and steal a brooch from a woman he'd never met. There was no forced entry or broken windows, and she never would have let a stranger in. Because she had this big, elaborate security right. system. I am, like, so stressed right now. I'm not even going to lie. This is, like, stressing me out. <laughs> On the first day in court, one of the early witnesses called to testify was a jeweler named William... Sorley, who had known Marion for many years. William knew of Marion's extensive collection. He'd even been asked to, like, watch the collection while she went out on vacation. You know, so she, he knew every single little piece in her collection. He was a jeweler. Right. Odds he, are he probably sold her some. Yes. He confirmed that the brooch in question had not belonged to Marion and had never belonged to Marion. Another jeweler was called to testify, a friend of Oscar's whose name I couldn't find anywhere, but he testified that the brooch actually belonged to Oscar's lady friend, that he had pawned it several times before. I'm assuming it's like a pawn person. You know, they could have testified. He sense. told the police officers this early on in the investigation, but, but the they officers had, dismissed it. The officers, they 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 saw him and they just narrowed the guy in. and they just completely start ignoring anything else. They because they have tunnel vision. Oh, it's so bad when a police officer gets that. And so many investigations just oh, I know, right? Oh. <laughs> a neighbor of Marion's testified that a man had been loitering outside of the apartment days before the murder, which we talked about in part one. Right, right, right. She said that the man had a striking resemblance to Oscar Slater, but when the defense presented her with the coat and the cap, his coat and cap, the neighbor replied that he wore a different coat and a different cap, that that wasn't the coat or the cap that they saw. Both Nellie and Mary were brought up onto the stage, not at the same time, but you right, know. Right, right, right. They're brought up to do their testifying. To testify that Oscar was the man that they'd seen without a shadow 
of a doubt, and they did. Because they're being pressured by the police to say this. Mm-hmm. That's witness tampering. And of course, Arthur was brought up to testify, and he said he wasn't sure that it was the man. Good for him, sticking to his guns. But he left his glasses downstairs that day. Ugh. And- wasn't able to identify him either way, basically. Okay. Because he has to be honest. He does. He mm-hmm. does. So he, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. I'm blind without my glasses. But he did remember what the man was clean shaven and Oscar wore a mustache. The prosecutor, I mean, you I mean can't, just remember that this guy smiled at them and walked by. Right. Okay, you can grow a mustache, but, but days. 12 days? He left in, that's true, 12 days, but he was not reported to have shaved in that time period. Witnesses never said that he lost that mustache before he left. He left okay, so he had four must- days later. Okay. After so the murder. So then he had the mustache. I was just saying you you can grow I know, I thought about that too. In 12 yeah. days. No, that, that makes sense. If he had it beforehand and people are like, no, he had a mustache, then. The prosecution also I'm told. so stressed. <laughs> prosecution also called all 12 witnesses to come forward. They all identified Oscar. Of course, his picture is literally everywhere. Basically, that's like 15 eyewitnesses. It was pretty damn. I mean, that is pretty damn. That would be. So the police did their job well by making it very known that they believed it to be him. The prosecution pointed out Oscar's suspicious, what they called flight of justice to New York. I, okay, I can see how the series of events is happening. Mm-hmm. But and the defense put up both the maid, Catherine Schmaltz, and Andre and Antoine, 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 Antoine. It might be Antoine. I don't know. Andre. To give Slater an alibi for the night of the murder, as we are well as various me. letters that confirmed that Slater's trip to America was planned months before the murder had actually taken place. However, Andre had a reputation that the jury didn't find reputable. Right, because she's basically a prostitute. Yes. And they dismissed her testimony. Because she's not a respectable lady. Yes. Plus, she's living with a guy who she's not married to. Mm-hmm. And so, there oh. was even thought or belief, and I don't know if it's true, but there was belief among the jury that Catherine Schmaltz was also a prostitute. So they didn't take in her testimony Uh, either. It didn't matter that she was under his employ. Because he ran around with prostitutes, they believed any women around him are automatically prostitutes. Exactly. Another thing that probably didn't help the case was Oscar Slater never spoke a word in court. His lawyer was concerned that his thick, heavy German accent would sway the jury towards a guilty verdict and they relied on letters and witness testimonies to tell his story. The forensics team, I guess, I that's what it said, but I don't know that they had a forensics team in 1900. Uh, Basically, the Glasgow not Police... Not forensics in the way we think of forensics. Yeah, the Glasgow Police Department determined that the weapon was possibly a claw hammer or something similar. 
Oh, you mean like a chair? Something <laughs> surprising, though, is remember Dr. John Adams, who was the first doctor on the scene, who had first oh, stated... No. Did he change things? Is that the weapon used was a the chair, chair with the brain matter all over it? They never even bothered to call him in to testify. What? He was literally the first doctor. He was the doctor. He was probably... Oh, my God. God, by the time the doctor got there, there were two police officers on scene and the doctor. Those were the first three people there besides the witnesses. And the doctor would have been able to tell what kind of wounds those were. And the doctor said it was a chair. But I guess the defense didn't know about the doctor because they never bothered to call him in. And neither did the prosecution. Uh, I know. I looked for him. That is just... No. No. Okay, go on. The jury took an hour and ten minutes to deliberate. What? And came back with a verdict of guilty. Of course guilty. they did. Because 15 witnesses. The jury voted nine guilty. And you know that jury has already seen all those newspaper articles. Everywhere. The jury voted nine guilty. Five not proven and one not guilty. How many people are on the jury? Nine, ten, fifteen. Wow. We usually just have twelve jurors today. Lord Guthrie sentenced Slater to death on Thursday, May 27th, 1909. Okay. But he's still alive in 1925, so okay. When the verdict was announced, Slater shot up in his seat and cried out, My lord, my father and my mother are poor old people. I came on my own account to this country. I came over to defend my right. I know nothing about the affair. You are convicting an innocent man. I came over from America knowing nothing of the affair to Scotland to get a fair judgment. I know nothing of the affair. Absolutely nothing. I never heard the name. I don't know how I could be connected with this affair. And bear in mind, it is the first time you hear him speak. And the verdict was already spoken. Guthrie did not change his mind and he was still given the death penalty. Uh, but it being the only time he'd spoken during the whole process and the fact that there was actually very little evidence to convict him, the death penalty actually shocked people. His statement actually turned some Glasgow residents' opinions around. They started believing he was innocent. So then are they pressured to give him, like, life instead of... People started passing around on street corners petitions. So that gets him commuted to life Stating that Oscar had not been adequately identified as the murderer. More than 20,000 people signed the petition. Damn. And Slater's lawyer sent the petition to the Secretary of Scotland, who commuted Slater's sentence to life in prison just two days before he was set to hang. What? And Oscar was commuted to Peterhead Prison, a hard labor prison. And this is where I'm gonna leave off. I am so stressed right now. Like, I have so much anxiety for poor Oscar. And See, I told you it was a lot. You did tell me it was a lot. So, the next episode will be... The Aftermath. 
So this was in like 1909, 1910? Because no. I don't know, like this is still in 1908. The trial. Well, happened. you said he was convicted in 1909, but did I? Oh yeah, yeah. 1909. So because I, it was December. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm so I'm not sure like how long he was on like death row. Uh, he was on death row for days. Okay. Literal Little like days. Days. Yeah, they they used to not play around with that. They used to not play around with that. And at all. back then they didn't really have like an appeal process. Right, right. Plus it's so it's, plus I, it's Scotland, not America, judicial yeah. system anyway. The idea that twenty thousand people got together to petition in days is mind-boggling. Yeah, and almost unheard of, I think. People were, like, signing up on the streets, and they, that was all they were talking about. And people just imagine if had, they had their own opinion. Just imagine if they had let him talk in his trial at all. Exactly. Because, I mean, his words moved people, apparently. At least it saved him from the hangsman's noose. And then people were like, what? There were only witnesses. Where's the evidence? Where, where, where's the smoking gun? Where's that chair with the brain matter that you disregarded? Uh, yeah, it wasn't even really brought up. Then, I don't think. I know. I was just making the point, but this is this is stressful. Yeah, really stressful. And mm -hmm. I, I'm like, I'm for it, and I'm fascinated. And we have part three. Part three. And that's gonna be. Didn't you say he wrote a book? He didn't write a book. Um, no, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Which, by the way, I if you guys want, go out and read it. It's a great read. It's very short. It's called The Case of Oscar Slater. Awesome. I'm so stressed right. Now. But we will cover that book, the book before that that inspired that book, and we will also cover a police officer who was one of the first police officers on the scene to Change investigate. He literally picks up Doyle's book, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's book, and then he decides, I'm going to come clean about some things. Ooh. So that is the next episode oh, part so three intriguing. so you guys look for it next week all right so you can find us wait you plugged us in at I the beginning did. I plugged us in at the beginning so we don't need to do that so bye guys bye <laughs> we'll see you next week for part three i'm so stressed <laughs> that's like your your thing right now <laughs> i'm stressed <laughs>